When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, your solo host for the day. John is away this week, so you'll have to rely on me to give you all of the information that you need for fantasy. Hopefully I'll do a good job. Let me know how I do by telling me on Twitter. You can tweet at me at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. So let me know how I did and if I did a good job on giving you everything from this past week. On today's show, I'll cover the latest news around baseball. I'll talk about a lot of trades that have taken place. It's going to be a crazy trade deadline. I'll go over a lot of player performances from the past week. And of course, I'll recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for all of you. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. And you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Now, let's move into the MLB news since our last podcast. We'll start with Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez of the Astros, who were both activated from the IL on Wednesday, July 26th. They were both out due to oblique injuries, and I'm sure are a pleasant sight to see in fantasy managers' lineups. I have both of them in one league, so it's very nice to have them both in the lineup again. Aaron Judge of the Yankees was activated from the IL on Friday, July 28th. He's been out since early June with a sprained right big toe. Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks returned from the IL on Tuesday, July 25th and started against the Cardinals. He was great in his return, and it's good to see him back from that blood clot issue in his calf. Trevor Story of the Red Sox could possibly return this coming weekend. He started at shortstop and went 2-for-3 with a double and was hit by a pitch on Wednesday in a AAA game. Story played three rehab games at AA Portland and has served in the field for three of the four rehab games so far. Red Sox manager Alex Cora suggested Story could return to Boston this coming weekend, and MLB.com reports that he'll start at shortstop immediately upon his activation from the injured list. It's kind of crazy because last week I covered Trevor Story, and they said there's no rush to get him back even though there's a dire need for shortstop in Boston. And now he's coming back this weekend, and it feels pretty rushed. So I'm not sure why they just immediately changed their mind, but hey, Trevor Story's coming back, and if you didn't already stash him away in fantasy, you should probably do so. We already recommended that you do this, and we also mentioned that he might have less power this season due to his injury, so don't expect a lot of power output from Trevor Story. He will probably still hit home runs, but expect more of the speed from Trevor Story because my guess is he'll bat in the top four in that Red Sox lineup, 
and he should be giving you a good amount of runs and steals. So at least he'll give you that. We're not sure that he'll be the same player that he was not too long ago, but hopefully he can return to something like that. Chris Sale of the Red Sox will begin a rehab assignment on Tuesday. He's making his way back from a stress reaction in his left scapula. Shane Bieber of the Guardians was transferred from the 15-day IL to the 60-day IL on Monday. He's out with right elbow inflammation. Hunter Green of the Reds threw a side session on Tuesday as part of a core stability program. Cincinnati manager David Bell said Green has one more level to achieve in the program. Once he finishes that, Green will throw a live batting practice session and then head out on a rehab assignment. Alex Kirilov of the Twins was out of the lineup on Wednesday due to a sore shoulder that he sustained after a diving play on Tuesday. He's considered day-to-day -day for now. Mike Trout of the Angels went through some running drills on Tuesday. There's still no timetable for his return after having the fractured handmate bone removed from his left hand. Shohei Otani of the Angels exited from the second game of the doubleheader on Thursday with a back cramp. He was back in the lineup on Friday, and I'll talk more about Otani a little bit later on because what he did on Thursday was amazing. Max Fried of the Braves was scratched from a scheduled rehab start with AAA Gwinnett on Wednesday due to an illness. He should still be able to join the Braves' rotation sometime next week. Zach Eflin of the Rays exited his start early on Tuesday against the Marlins with knee discomfort. He underwent an MRI and it didn't show anything overly concerning. He could potentially make his next scheduled start against the Yankees on Tuesday. Yandy Diaz of the Rays was out of the lineup on Wednesday due to ongoing left groin tightness. Diaz underwent an MRI and the results were encouraging, according to manager Kevin Cash. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers could rejoin the Brewers' rotation after two more rehab starts. Woodruff has been on the sidelines since mid-April with a grade 2 subscapular strain, but he could return in the middle of August. Corey Seager of the Rangers was placed on the 10-day IL on Saturday with a sprained right thumb. Seager believes that he won't miss more than two weeks since he was able to avoid any structural damage to that thumb. He sustained the injury by diving into second base. He looked like he was in pain right away, and obviously he did go on the IL, but hopefully he can come back soon in that two-week timetable that Seager thinks because he has been amazing when he's been healthy. Nathan Eovaldi of the Rangers had his start skipped this week. The Rangers wanted to give him some extra rest after experiencing some diminished velocity. He is currently lined up to start against the Padres on Sunday. Jonah Heim of the Rangers was pulled from Wednesday's game against the Astros due to left wrist soreness. Consider him day-to-day -day for now. Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles was pulled from Tuesday's game against the Phillies due to lower back discomfort. He was back in the lineup on Friday and seems to have avoided an injury. Estieri Ruiz of the Athletics began a rehab assignment on Friday. He should be back with the Athletics in early August. Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals left Thursday's game against the Cubs after Ian Happ hit Contreras in the side of the head with his backswing. He was officially diagnosed with a scalp laceration and is considered day-to-day. -day. It was actually crazy to watch. I was watching this game because Thursday was a short slate. There was only, I believe, five games going on, so not a lot of action. And I watched this game in its entirety, and basically what happened was Ian Happ took a full swing and hit Wilson Contreras in the side of the head. His mask immediately popped off and he immediately looked to be in pain. He was bleeding. He was holding his head. It was wild. But once again, this is an accident. Half wasn't trying to hit Wilson Contreras. And they used to be teammates and friends. They even hugged and he said, I'm sorry. So there was no ill will or bad blood between the two. They knew it was an accident. But that didn't stop Miles Michaelis, the starting pitcher for the Cardinals, to 
first throw at Ian Happ's head, and then he plunked him in the butt with something that was kind of soft. So it was really strange to see. Michaelis got ejected immediately after, so that was wild. He only recorded two outs, <laughs> and he also had a zero whip for the day, but since he hit Ian Happ, he put him on first base and was responsible for that run, and Ian Happ did end up scoring, so Miles Michaelis' line looks a little weird, but the whole situation was very interesting because why was Michaelis retaliating in this situation when they were boys? So not really sure about that, but Wilson Contreras should hopefully be okay, just a little bit of a scalp laceration. Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals is scheduled to begin a minor league rehab assignment on Saturday. He should be able to return to the lineup in the middle of next week. Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals will throw another bullpen session on Saturday. He's been out with a right forearm strain. Starling Marte of the Mets is still dealing with migraine headaches. Manager Buck Showalter said on Thursday that they're at a lesser scale, but he may seek a second opinion on his head in the near future. Marte is also expecting the birth of a child in the next coming days, so there's no current clarity on his return. Keep an eye on Marte's status, but I would expect in maybe two weeks' time he'll be back. Edwin Diaz of the Mets played catch on Thursday. Diaz was throwing from center field to the foul line in right field, a substantial distance as he ramps up his rehab program. Edwin wants to return this season, but if the Mets don't have a hope for the playoffs, they might just choose to keep him from doing so and just ease him back, so... Hopefully we'll see Diaz by the end of the year because seeing and hearing trumpets at the end of the season for all of the Mets fans who have lost hope kind of like myself, it'll be a nice little victory thing where Diaz is back on the field. But hey, don't rush back. We need you for next season. Now, moving on to some prospect info from this past week. Marco Luciano was called up by the Giants on Wednesday, July 26th from AAA Sacramento. The second best prospect in the Giants system was slashing 292, 370, 625 in 27 plate appearances since being promoted from AA Richmond earlier this month. He's probably not going to help that much this year for fantasy, but if you need a middle infield option in the deepest of leagues, he's probably worth a flyer. So if you need that, go and grab Marco Luciano. Sal Freelich was called up by the Brewers on Saturday, July 22nd. He hit his first career homer on Monday and has been playing really well since being called up. Freelich was a top prospect in the Brewers system, and he doesn't really project as a fantasy stud, more of a great real-life player, but anyone is fantasy viable if they're hitting well, and right now Freelich is hitting well, so 5 outfield leagues, 14 team leagues and deeper, Freelich should probably be rostered. And last but not least for the prospects, Sad news here, Andrew Painter of the Phillies officially underwent Tommy John surgery on Tuesday. We probably won't see him debut in the majors until the very end of 2024 or the beginning of 2025. Just brutal for one of the top pitching prospects in the game, but we saw this coming and unfortunately it had to happen. Now let's talk about the trades that have taken place since last week. The trades are really starting to ramp up. Obviously, the trade deadline is nearing, so teams are starting to make moves. And the first move, which is probably the biggest one so far, Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez were traded from the White Sox to the Angels for Kai Bush and Edgar Cuero. Now, this is crazy because Lucas Giolito was tagged to the Dodgers. He was tagged to a few other teams and not really the Angels. The Angels were unofficially sellers. They were not doing well. Otani's going to be a free agent, so they were thinking about moving him. But then, surprise, surprise, the Angels came out and said, hey, we're not taking offers on Shohei Otani anymore. We're keeping him. They said that the offers they did get for Otani when he was on the market were underwhelming, which 
obviously, unless you're getting a billion good prospects, it's going to be underwhelming for the best player in baseball. But it was interesting to see that the Angels went from sellers to buyers. And I guess it makes sense, even though they're not in a great position, you do have Shohei Otani. Mike Trout is coming back soon. Your lineup is starting to heat up. Mickey Moniak's playing well. Taylor Ward's starting to play well again. It's just that everything is clicking. And I guess if you have Otani and you know you're probably not going to re-sign him and the trades aren't looking good and you have to hold on to him, you might as well go for it all the season that you have Otani, right? So I give credit to the Angels for becoming buyers and getting Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, two really good pieces. For fantasy purposes, I really don't like this. I have Giolito in two leagues and I don't like that he's going to be moving to a six-man rotation in Los Angeles. It's one of the worst situations for a pitcher where Giolito probably was going to get two more two-start weeks throughout the rest of the season, and now he's not, and his schedule is going to look a lot worse because he's on that six-man rotation. So, kind of disappointing in terms of park factor. It's about even. The White Sox and Angel Stadiums both play similarly, so it's not too big of a factor there. It's just that he goes from a five-man rotation to a six-man rotation. So, kind of bad news for Giolito rosterers, but... He's still really, really good. He's going to be a great pitcher. He's not worth dropping because of this. Don't go crazy, but it is going to hamper his value just a little bit. So Lucas Giolito is still going to be good. He's probably going to be in a better situation because the Angels are a better team than the White Sox. So he might get a few more wins. He has a better defense behind him. So that is all good, but the six-man rotation really hurts. Next, we have Jorge Lopez, who was traded from the Twins to the Marlins for Dylan Floro. This was a bit of a weird move, trading reliever for reliever. I think Jorge Lopez is a better reliever, just from the eye test for myself, seeing both of these guys pitch. If John was here, he probably could talk a little bit more about it. I think Lopez has one more year of control, so that's why the Marlins wanted to get him. And the Twins get Dylan Floro, so I don't know. This was kind of a weird trade, and... I'm not sure what the point of it was, but hey, if the Marlins can fix Jorge Lopez and make him great, they got a steal in this because Dylan Floro is a decent reliever, but Jorge Lopez has way higher upside. Next, we have Ahmed Rosario, who was traded from the Guardians to the Dodgers for Noah Syndergaard. This trade trips me out because both of these guys were Mets and Mets top prospects for what it's worth. So Ahmed Rosario and Noah Syndergaard were teammates on the Mets. I'm a huge Noah Syndergaard fan, as you all know, and it's crazy to see him go to the Guardians. I mean, he didn't do too hot on the Dodgers, and hopefully it's a good scenario. I actually think this helps Syndergaard because the Guardians are great at developing pitching and helping pitchers. So if anywhere to be traded to, I think the Guardians is a good landing spot for Syndergaard, and hopefully he can right the ship. He can become a little bit more like his old self. He's obviously not going to throw 100 again, but if he can become a true pitcher, in Cleveland. He might be a sneaky good option for streaming moving forward. And then Ahmed Rosario moving to the Dodgers, that's a huge boon in fantasy value. Now, Ahmed Rosario hasn't been running as much as he should be probably. He's pretty fast and he hasn't attempted a lot of steals this season. So hopefully he gets an everyday role with the Dodgers. They also acquired another player who I'm about to talk about, but I think they might be sharing roles here at shortstop. But if Ahmed Rosario gets everyday playing time with the Dodgers, not only is he in a better lineup, hopefully the Dodgers let him be aggressive on the base path, and we can see some true value out of Ahmed Rosario. So I think it's a really good situation for him. 
I think it's a pretty good situation for Syndergaard, so kind of a win-win here, and I like it for both sides. Next, we have Kike Hernandez, who was traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers for two right-handed relievers. Also, the Dodgers agreed to pay $2.5 million of the roughly $3.5 million remaining on Hernandez's contract. This is a little reunion tour for Kike Hernandez. He was obviously on the Dodgers, then he signed with the Red Sox, and now he's back to the Dodgers. So, interesting move here. Once again, the Dodgers needed help at shortstop. After losing Gavin Lux right off the rip in the season, they needed to fill that shortstop hole, and they've been doing it with Miguel Rojas, who is not a great option. He's just a veteran that's played the game for a while and can hold down the fort, but he hasn't really been great. And Mookie Betts has even had to play shortstop this year because they've been at such a disadvantage at the position. So it's good to see them acquiring Ahmed Rosario and Kike Hernandez, both who are going to give better value than Miguel Rojas and both who probably get increased fantasy value because of the move. The Dodgers are a good team. They've got a good lineup. And I think that both of these guys will be viable for fantasy. Ahmed a little bit more than Kike. Kike in the deepest of leagues will definitely be better, but Ahmed Rosario is a good option. Kike Hernandez is an okay option if you need help for middle infield in fantasy. Next, we have Carlos Santana, who was traded from the Pirates to the Brewers for Johnny Severino, an 18-year-old shortstop. This is a great move for the Brewers because they lost Rowdy Telez for quite some time, and they've really just been floating at the first base position. So, Carlos Santana fills that hole. He's been playing really well this season, so now he's off the Pirates, he's on to the Brewers, and I think this helps his fantasy value a lot. So if you do need a corner infielder in your deeper leagues, Carlos Santana probably should be rostered because he's probably going to bat fifth or sixth in this Brewers lineup, and he's going to get a lot of RBIs the way Christian Yelich is playing, and I like the fit for him in Milwaukee. And last but not least, David Robertson was traded from the Mets to the Marlins for two position player prospects, Marco Vargas, an infielder, and Ronald Hernandez, a catcher. They were ranked 18 and 21 in Miami's system. Marco Vargas actually gained some helium and has a really nice left-handed swing. So I like the return for David Robertson. I think they could have gotten more because a lot of teams need bullpen help. And David Robertson's one of the best relievers on the market. So I don't know if they just took the first offer they got or they really like Marco Vargas, but I feel like the Mets could have held out a little bit and gotten a bigger package in return for him. But hey, I like Marco Vargas. I think this is decent. If we're not going to compete, we might as well get good pieces for the future. So that wraps up all of the MLB news from this past week. There was a lot of it. And next week will be even crazier because we're going to talk a whole lot about trades. There's going to be a ton of them. It's exciting. I always like the trade deadline because you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going where. You don't know what jobs will emerge, who will gain fantasy value. So it's always an exciting time to be a baseball fan around now. But it's time to take a quick break. When I get back, I'll talk about the weekly performance recap, highlighting all of the good performances from this past week. We'll be back after this. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. 
Pick the two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Fads come and go. And nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. We are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap articles and SP roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But getting right into it, for the weekend, Friday to Sunday from July 21st to July 23rd, We start with Friday. We have a few crazy performances, a lot of multi-homer games, starting with Kyle Tucker of the Astros, who went three for four with three home runs, three runs, and four RBI. This was a career night for Kyle Tucker. The first two homers that he hit were off of a left-handed pitcher, J.P. Sears, so that's always good to see, seeing some left-on-left damage. Also, Tucker has been hitting third in the Astros lineup with Altuve and Jordan out. When they both came back, Tucker remained in the three-hole and Alvarez batted fifth. It'll be interesting to see where he bats moving forward. He's notorious for being batted fifth or sixth when we've been begging for him to bat second or third. But obviously, if Tucker bats third or higher, his value becomes even greater. His baseball savant page is beautiful, and he's got a 304, 387, 521 slash line with 18 homers, 19 stolen bases, 58 runs scored, and 69 RBI. Tucker's having a phenomenal year, and he should be a top outfielder in the draft next season. Next, we have a few players that had crazy multi-homer games. We start with Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks, who went 3-for-5 with a triple, two home runs, two runs, and four RBI. Byron Buxton of the Twins, who went 2-for-4 with two home runs, two runs, and four RBI. Juan Soto of the Padres, who went 2-for-3 with two homers, two runs, three RBI, and a walk. Henry Davis of the Pirates, who went 3-for-4, two home runs, two runs, and two RBI. Michael Massey, the final multi-homer hitter, who went 2-for-4, two homers, two runs, and four RBI. 
Just a crazy day on Friday for multi-homer games. So shout out to all of those players who performed great. We also had Matt McLean of the Reds, who went two for four with a homer, two runs, four RBI, one stolen base, and a walk. The home run was actually a grand slam that came off of a 101 mile per hour pitch to opposite field. It gave the Reds the lead, and it was just remarkable to see. McLean has been so good. He has second base and shortstop eligibility on Yahoo, and if you picked him up, you have to be happy. And then our last performance from Friday, C.J. Abrams of the Nationals went 2-for-4 with a homer, two runs, an RBI, and a stolen base. Speaking of homers off of left-handed pitching, like I said with Kyle Tucker, Abrams launched a 414-foot homer off of left-handed pitcher Alex Wood of the Giants. Abrams has been on fire as of late and should really be rostered in every league right now. His approach at the plate and plate discipline isn't the greatest, so he might have some ups and downs, but you can't deny the results right now. He's been really, really good, so if he's available on your wire, scoop him up because he has been phenomenal, and he always had that prospect pedigree, so it's great to see it finally clicking for him, and he can easily be a guy that hits 15 to 20 homers and steals 30 to 40 bases moving forward. So he might have an inflated price in the draft if he ends the season high, but we'll see. We'll see. CJ Abrams is definitely a name to keep an eye on and to grab if he's out there. Moving on to Saturday, July 22nd, we have Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers who went four for five with two home runs, three runs, and three RBI. Freddie has been phenomenal all season and easily the best first baseman for fantasy purposes. And then we have Tristan Casas of the Red Sox, who went two for three with two home runs, two runs, three RBI, and a walk. Casas has been doing some really interesting things lately. In the last two weeks, Casas has went 15 for 32, which is good for a 469 batting average, and in that time, he's at a 545 OBP. He scored 11 runs, hit six home runs, and has 11 RBI. His baseball savant page is very red. His K percentage isn't great. He's striking out 25.4% of the time, but something that is good is that his fly ball percentage is up to 42.2%. He had a little bit of an inflated ground ball percentage with his small cup of coffee in the majors last season. So it's nice to see that ground ball percentage go down a little bit and that fly ball percentage go up because he has all the power in the world. He just needs to get the ball in the air. I had high hopes for Casas this season. I actually drafted him in TGFBI. But he started out really slow and was being platooned pretty regularly, so I was forced to cut bait with him. However, he's really heated up as of late and is proving to be a solid three-category contributor. If he's available in your league, I'd take the chance on him in case this sticks for the rest of the season. So Tristan Casas, I'm definitely intrigued, and you should be too. Moving on to Sunday, July 23rd, we have Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees who went 4-for-4 four four with a double, a homer, three runs, and two RBI. This was Rizzo's first homer in 45 games, which is the longest home run drought of his career. He's hit 131, that's 8 for 61, in July, and I think that he's pretty droppable in fantasy. If somehow Josh Naylor or the aforementioned Tristan Casas is out there in your league, I'd make that swap pretty quickly. So if you do roster Rizzo, which I'm not sure why you do at this point, I'd cut bait and go with one of the hotter first basemen like Tristan Casas. And last but not least for Sunday, we have Max Muncy of the Dodgers, who went 1-for-4 with a homer, a run, and 4 RBI. 
Those four RBI came from a grand slam, and that grand slam came off of left-handed pitcher Martin Perez of the Rangers, so it's nice to see Muncy hit well against the lefty. However, that was his lone hit for the day, but Muncy has been really solid this season, even though his average is really low. Muncy's definitely more usable in points leagues and OBP leagues. In average leagues, under 200 won't do it, but he's been very good counting stat-wise. Now, moving on to pitchers from this weekend. On Friday, July 21st, Zach Eflin of the Rays went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Orioles. Justin Steele of the Cubs went 6.1 innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits, one walk, and nine Ks against the Cardinals. And Jake Irvin of the Nationals went 6.2 innings pitched, three earned runs, five hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Giants. Eflin and Steele have been pretty good all season, so not much to add on them. But for Jake Irvin, Nick pointed out that even though the stat line looks good from this one, Irvin isn't taking the correct steps forward to be a better, more consistent pitcher. He showed some great flashes early on this season, but he's actually regressing right now in terms of his stuff and what he's supposed to do. So he got more lucky in this one than anything. And after this performance, don't think of him as anything more than a streamer. Moving on to Saturday, July 22nd, we have a few pitcher duels. First, the Guardians versus the Phillies. We had Tanner Bybee of the Guardians. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. He had a golden goal in this one with 22 whiffs and a 39% CSW. Bybee's last seven starts have been excellent. Four quality starts, a strikeout per inning, and he's looking like the prospect that we were all excited about heading into this year. It just took a little while for it to click for him, but if he's still out there, he's looking really good and he's clearly entrenched himself as a starter in this rotation. So Tanner Bybee looks good. And on the other side of this pitcher duel, we had Zach Wheeler of the Phillies, who went up against the Guardians, of course. He went seven innings pitch, one earned run, five hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Just a solid performance. Wheeler's been really good all year. The next pitcher duel we have is between the Yankees and the Royals. Garrett Cole of the Yankees went 6.1 innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts. And Brady Singer of the Royals went six innings pitched, Two earned runs, five hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Yankees. Their lines were exactly the same, except Cole pitched one more out and got one more strikeout. So, pretty interesting to see that they had identical lines. Now, Cole has been great all season, so not much to add here. But Brady Singer, with this start, obviously it was phenomenal, but he's a cherry bomb. This was his best start in a while, and he's really nothing more than a streamer in favorable matchups. So, don't take too much from this. The Yankees lineup is horrendous so Brady Singer just had a great night out but moving forward he is a streamer and last but not least for Saturday this is going to shock a lot of you Johnny Cueto of the Marlins he went six innings pitched with one earned run two hits one walk and eight strikeouts against the Rockies Cueto had 14 out of 40 whiffs on the four seamer in this one yeah the Rockies on the road are bad but Cueto looked dominant in this start. He had a 37% CSW, and the command was on point. I mean, the command was really, really good. He gets the Tigers next, and hint, hint, he's a streamer pick for next week. I'll talk more about him later on, but Johnny Cueto, who would have thought? Moving on to Sunday, the last day of the weekend, July 23rd. We have Jesus Lazardo of the Marlins, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, 
two walks and 13 strikeouts against the Rockies. That's a golden goal for Lizardo, and he's been phenomenal. He's been the Marlins ace while Sandy was slumping, so really nice to see. We've had high aspirations for Lizardo the whole season, so it's really nice to see it paying off. Next, we have Julio Tehran of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, no walks, and five strikeouts against the Braves. Just one word, how? <laughs> and last but not least, we have Mackenzie Gore of the Nationals, who went five innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against the Giants. That wraps up the weekend, so let's move on to Monday, July 24th. From the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo, we start with Jamer Candelario of the Nationals. He went two for four with a double, a homer, two runs, and three RBI. There were rumors that Candelario was traded to the Angels, but that didn't happen. However, Candelario is a popular trade piece for the Nationals that should be moved by the deadline. He's got a 124 OPS plus and has been really good all season long. If you need a corner infield in your league, I believe he only has third base eligibility on Yahoo. And he gets traded to a contender with a legitimately good lineup around him. He might be worth a sneaky ad because... He's given you some pretty good fantasy production all year, so if he gets into a better situation, maybe you should pick up Candelario. Next, we have Chaz McCormick of the Astros, who went 2-for-3 with a double, a homer, a run, 6 RBI, and a walk. I told all of you to pick him up last week, and look what happened. McCormick has been on a tear as of late, and on Monday, he dominated the Rangers. A sack fly, a bases loaded 2 RBI double, and a 3-run homer gave him the ridiculous 6 RBI total for the day. It's always good to bet on hitters in top 5 lineups, even if their underlying numbers aren't the greatest. Some examples, anybody in the Rangers lineup, anybody in the Rays lineup, anybody in the Astros lineup, they've all been good for fantasy. So, you just gotta roll with the good lineups, and even though McCormick's underlying numbers don't look too great, his StatCast page is underwhelming, He's still performing, and for fantasy, all you need is the numbers. And last but not least for Monday, we have Ha-Song Kim of the Padres. He went 2-for-3 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, 3 RBI, and a walk. This has been a true breakout year for Ha-Song Kim, who has his eyes on a 2020 season. He's currently at 14 home runs and 19 stolen bases. Kim has been red hot at the plate, mainly due to his incredible plate discipline. His whiff percentage, walk percentage, and chase rate are all sitting in the top 20 percentile. He's now batting leadoff for the Padres and has been showing us all why he was such a hot commodity coming from the KBO. Moving on to pitchers from Monday, we have the SP Roundup article, Rising from the Ashes by Nick Pollock. We start with Kenta Maeda of the Twins, who went 6.1 innings pitched, 1 earned run, 6 hits, 2 walks, and 8 strikeouts against the Mariners. Maeda has been so solid. We've talked about him like every day for three weeks now, but if he keeps having excellent starts, we have to keep bringing them up. I told all of you that I was excited about Maeda, and that still stands. If he happens to be out there in your league, please, I beg you, go and pick him up. His splitter has been filthy. He looks like a strong candidate to finish out the year with great numbers. Next, we have Christopher Sanchez of the Phillies. He went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Orioles. Sanchez has given us a really solid year of production so far. In eight games started, he currently has a 2.98 ERA, a 0.97 whip, with 38 strikeouts in 42.1 innings pitched. 
His changeup went 10 for 35 on whiffs in this one, and his sinker has been earning a ton of called strikes. I have no idea why he's rostered so low across fantasy sites, but that needs to change. And yes, that means I'm alluding to him being a streamer recommendation with a juicy matchup next on the docket. Sanchez has been really good, and he deserves to be rostered a little bit more. And last but not least, we have Tariq Skubal of the Tigers. He went five innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Giants. Skubal just keeps striking people out like crazy since he's returned. I'm excited to see him when he's fully worked back up and can go six to seven innings. He might just be an ace in the making. His four-seamer is that good. The Tigers have something special with Tariq Skubal. Moving on to Tuesday, July 25th. From the Daily Hitting Recap article by Mark Stubinger, we have Dansby Swanson of the Cubs, who went 3-for-3 three three with two home runs, two runs, four RBI, and a walk. This season, Dansby has been super underwhelming. I thought it was pretty obvious that last season was a career year type outlier for Swanson, and it's truly looking like it is. Swanson has a 267, 351, 431 slash line with 12 home runs, 4 stolen bases, 45 runs scored, and 42 RBI. As an actual baseball player, not for fantasy, Swanson is elite. What he brings defensively to the Cubs makes him worth the money. But for fantasy though, he's a shortstop that I don't have ranked in the top 12. And he's not someone that needs to be rostered. Now, he should be rostered in deeper leagues. He's a great middle infield option at the worst. So Dansby has value. But in those 10-team, 12-team leagues, I struggle to find a spot where I can play Swanson. I just think he's not really rosterable for fantasy. This, however, was a fantastic game for him, and it's nice to see him produce a little bit more at the plate. Next, we have Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, who went 2-for-4 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. Speaking of producing more at the plate, Julio had himself a day. He hasn't necessarily been struggling, but he's not delivering on the extremely high expectations that we set for him going into this season. Before this game, since the All-Star break, Rodriguez only had a 73 WRC+, which for all of you who don't know means weighted runs created with adjustments for park factors. League average is 100, so 73 is pretty bad. Obviously, he has infinite potential and he can really explode in the second half, so it's nice to see him have a great day. Hopefully, this is the spark that gets Julio Rodriguez to finish with a blazing hot second half. And last but not least for Tuesday hitters, we have Pete Alonso of the Mets. He went 3-for-4 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, 5 RBI, and a walk. Pete hasn't really been right at the plate since he got hit on the wrist with a pitch back in the beginning of June. He missed the minimum amount of time on the IL, and it really felt like he rushed back. Well, he looked a lot more like himself on Monday against the Yankees, and I love to see the polar bear flourish. He's had a great year, but obviously that slump after he came off the IL was prominent and kind of deflated his numbers a bit, but he's still on track for 35 home runs, and I think Pete is still a top five first baseman moving forward. He is really, really good. Hopefully that wrist is okay. Moving on to pitchers from Tuesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Savale Trick from Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, Aaron Savale of the Guardians went eight innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, two walks, and five strikeouts against the Royals. Savale's velocity was actually down two ticks in this one, which is concerning, but it clearly didn't affect him at all because he carved up the Royals. A 27% CSW isn't the greatest, but against the awful Royals offense, it got the job done. 
Nick always recommends to start Savale against poor offenses, and that might be a little foreshadowing as well. Maybe we'll find out at the end of the podcast. Alex Cobb of the Giants went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Athletics. He went 10 for 39 on whiffs for the splitter for a 31% CSW, and the Athletics aren't good. Just had to mention the great line for Cobb. Great start for him, but the Athletics are just not great. And last but not least, Andrew Abbott of the Reds. He went six innings pitched, no earned runs, seven hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Brewers. He threw 113 pitches in this one. You would think that Abbott is a seasoned veteran, the way they just let him rack up the pitches. I love to see it, but hopefully that doesn't hurt Abbott's future. But Abbott has been so good, and I also feel so dumb. I picked up Abbott in a lot of places and really believed in him. However, after his first three starts, even though he had a zero ERA, the strikeouts were non-existent, the underlying numbers looked awful, and as most people in the fantasy industry thought, I too thought that an implosion was coming. Well, it really never has, and Abbott has been one of the best pitchers in baseball since being called up. Even Nick is a believer in him now, so Andrew Abbott, probably my biggest regret of the fantasy season so far, letting him go in pretty much every one of my leagues. Yeah, that one still stings. Hopefully, none of you made the same mistake as I did. Moving on to Wednesday, July 26th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with Jose Ramirez of the Guardians. He went 3-for-4 with two home runs, three runs, three RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. Quite the stat line for a day in fantasy. It's been a pretty underwhelming season for the standard that we hold Ramirez to. For the year, Ramirez has a 292-362-501 slash line, which is actually up from last season. But he has 16 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 64 runs scored, and 60 RBI. In 2021, Joe Ram had 36 homers and 27 steals. In 2022, he had 29 homers and 20 steals. And this season, he's on pace for a little bit under that. He's still a first-round fantasy talent, especially at third base, which is a more shallow position. But I can see why managers who took him with maybe the third overall pick in the draft are a little disappointed. He's still doing great and giving you five-category production. It's just not as high as we'd hoped for and not as consistent as we hoped for. Still, he can go on a tear for the final 60 games, and we'll be laughing for even thinking we could be disappointed by him. So, in Joe Ram, we trust, and we'll see how he does for the end of the season. I'm sure he's going to end with an easy 2020 season and probably better numbers than we expect. And next, we have Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals, who went 3-for-5 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. We spoke about Gorman a lot in our last podcast, so I don't really want to harp on the same things, but he has really started playing better recently. After that horrendous cold stretch in June, where he had a 143, 211, 229 slash line, he's completely melted the ice and has a 282, 346, 648 slash line in July. It's good to see that one of the game's top prospects is getting playing time and was able to work himself out of a slump. Usually when prospects slump, they get benched, they get platooned, they get sent down. So it's great that the Cardinals actually let Gorman play and get through this slump. I know he was getting platooned a little bit, but the Cardinals have a plethora of talent that they can spread all around the field. So they have to feed a lot of mouths, but Nolan Gorman getting out of the slump is great news for him. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Frozen in Framber by Nick Pollock. 
We start with Freddie Peralta of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, no walks, and 13 strikeouts against the Reds. President of the Peralta Fan Club reporting for duty. This was so awesome to watch. I mean, it kind of hurt because I have a lot of shares of McLean, India, and Ellie, but man, Freddie was on fire. He had a 45% CSW on both the slider and the four-seamer, with an absurd 71% CSW on the seven curveballs that he threw. Peralta had a 43% CSW in the start for its entirety, and 24 whiffs, earning himself a golden goal. This is the performance that I always expect out of Peralta, because I've always viewed him as an ace. He's had an up-and-down season this year, but when he flashes a start like this, it gets me so excited to draft him next season because I have zero shares of Freddie Peralta. I'm so upset about that, but I can't wait to roster him next season because starts like this. I mean, this is what he can do. This is what we expected out of him two seasons ago before he got hurt. So it's great to see Freddie getting back to form. Speaking of getting back to form, Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, he went nine innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Rays. Sandy is back. This was a vintage Sandy Alcantara start, going nine innings pitched with only 97 pitches. The changeup and slider were awesome in this one, and the fastball was still reaching 100 miles per hour deep into the game. It's so great to see Sandy get back to being himself, because this has been an awfully weird year for him. And we love when pitchers can pitch complete games like Sandy can. Not a lot of people in this era can do what Sandy does, and it's great to see him flourish because it is a unicorn in the sport. He's been too good to have the ERA that he has this season. So it's great to see that the changeup was really delivering in this one because that was the main thing separating him from success. I'd also brag about this start coming against the Rays, but the Rays have actually been pretty bad. But anyways, go Sandy. And last but not least for Wednesday, Seth Lugo of the Padres went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, three hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Pirates. I'm going to take a little victory lap right now because in an off-season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, John and I were talking about players that were watching in spring training and who we're excited about, and I mentioned Seth Lugo when we got to the Padres. As a Mets fan, I've always been in tune with his career and what he's capable of, and he never really got a shot to start in the Mets rotation. He had one chance to start, and he got a few starts in, and they were great. But then he quickly went back to the bullpen and was a long reliever. I'm not sure why the Mets wouldn't give him a shot in the rotation. I mean, at the time, we had a loaded rotation with Cindergaard in his prime, DeGrom, obviously. We had Matt Harvey. We had Steven Matz, who was flourishing at the time. So we had a pretty crowded rotation. And he's really shining in the Padres rotation in 2023. I think that he should be rostered in almost every league. His next two matchups are rough. He gets the Rockies and Coors and then the Dodgers. But... Still, I think that he needs to be rostered. He's just been really, really good. Moving on to Thursday, July 27th. There was a short slate of games on Thursday. Not too many teams played like I mentioned. However, the Angels and the Tigers had a doubleheader. And all the players that I'm going to be speaking about were from that doubleheader. We start with Taylor Ward of the Angels, who went 2-for-8 with 2 home runs, 3 runs, 3 RBI, and a walk. He only got the two hits, but they both left the yard, and his swing seems to be back. It looks so free and easy. Vlad Settler on Twitter 
showed a video of him hitting a home run, and it just looks so natural and like such a free swing. So it's great to see Ward get back on track because he was someone that people were excited about going into this season as a potential continuation of a breakout, and he really underdelivered. and it's good to see him getting back on track. Next, we have Mickey Moniak of the Angels, who went 3-for-8 with two runs. Nothing too spectacular about that line, of course, but with the three hits, just getting one of those hits extended his hitting streak to 16 games. Moniak's been playing great, and he will continue to get everyday playing time while Trout is out. So if you're in a, I don't know, 12-14 team league, any 5 outfield league, Mickey Moniak should be rostered. He's been very, very good for the Angels. And last but not least, and the only pitcher that I'm highlighting as well, Shohei Otani of the Angels. In the first game of the doubleheader, he started on the mound, and he went nine innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, three walks, and eight strikeouts against the Tigers. It was his first ever complete game shutout. He was just so impressive. Obviously, it's the Tigers, and they're not that great. But Otani really flourished in this one and just absolutely carved them up. It's so cool to see Otani continue to do amazing things. And speaking of amazing things, in the second game of the doubleheader, Otani managed to hit two home runs in the same game. His overall line for the doubleheader was two for eight with two homers, two runs, and three RBI. He is just otherworldly. I've run out of words and descriptions for Otani, watching him play the game of baseball is truly a pleasure. I can't fathom ever seeing anyone like this ever. And it's happening right before our eyes. I mean, I don't think people truly understand how special it is to witness what we're witnessing. Like, I can't wait to tell my kids about Shohei Otani. I have no kids right now. And probably when I do have kids, Otani will still be playing. But I can say that I watched prime Shohei Otani on the mound and at the plate being an absolute baller. So Shohei Otani, you are unbelievable. Everyone just is in awe of what you can do. You are amazing. Thank you for what you do for baseball because you are insane. So Otani dominated Thursday. It was all about Otani. Really nothing else to mention. I mean, a complete game shutout and two home runs. You can have your day. Now it's time for our last break, and when I get back, I'll recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the upcoming week, so stay tuned. Alright, let's talk about hitter and pitcher streamers for the upcoming week. This might be the first streamer segment where I've already talked about all of the pitchers that I'm recommending in this episode. We'll start with Johnny Cueto, who's 8% rostered on Yahoo!, He goes against Detroit on Saturday, this Saturday, so it's not for next week, it's for this week, but when you're listening to this, he's going to be starting that day, so make sure you grab him before he starts. Cueto has been in the league for quite some time, 16 years, and he's only 37 years old. That's pretty wild. It's crazy to think that Cueto is still relevant in 2023, but hey, here we are. The Marlins are a good team this season, and they're buyers at the deadline with playoff aspirations, so if they're willing to start Cueto, then so am I. He goes up against the Tigers, who are 29th in OPS against right-handed pitching this season, and if he has the same command as he did against the Rockies, then this could be a home run of a streamer pick. As for long-term value, I don't think Cueto is worth rostering, but we've seen him be viable in the not-so-far-gone past, so maybe you hold on to him, but... I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend, however, 
using him against Detroit. Next, we have Christopher Sanchez of the Phillies, who's 17% rostered on Yahoo. He goes against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh on Sunday. I mentioned before that Sanchez has been really good this season, and he's rostered way too low. I mean, 17% rostered? I know he's only started eight games, but he has a sub-3 ERA and almost a strikeout per inning. What are we doing here? Grab Christopher Sanchez. I think you should stream him against the Pirates, and then just hold on to him, because the stats have been great. Why wouldn't you want him in your rotation? Obviously, he might not stick, but for the time being, he's doing great. And last but not least, we have Aaron Savale of the Guardians, who's 61% rostered on Yahoo. He goes against the White Sox at Chicago on Sunday. Now, Savale is a little bit more rostered than Cueto, but he might be available in shallower leagues, 12 teams or less. Savale has been pitching really, really well recently, and he goes up against the White Sox, who ranked 27th in OPS against right-handed pitching this season. The White Sox also might have sold some pieces by the time that he starts, and the lineup could look a whole lot worse. I'd grab Savale to stream for this start and roster him for the time being if he's available. As Nick and I both mentioned before, you always start Savale in good matchups, but hey, he's on a roll. So you just keep him while he's hot and cut bait with him if he tends to struggle. So we'll see about Savale, but I like all three of those guys. If I had to put them in order of who I like most to least... For this start only, for the starts that I mentioned, I will say Savale 1, Cueto 2, Sanchez 3. But for rostering, I think Sanchez 1, Savale 2, Cueto 3. So that's my order for that. Also, before we move on to the bat recommendation, I'm going to do something that we never did before, but I'm going to recommend closers. If you need help with saves and are in need of a closer, Look at Adbert Alzali of the Cubs. He's 54% rostered and has gotten the last four save opportunities and successfully converted them. So he seems to be the Cubs closer. The Cubs are a pretty good team and getting a lot of wins that we didn't expect. So Alzali packs a lot of value. And if he's out there, he could be a good add. And then also Adam Adovino of the Mets. He's only 23% rostered on Yahoo. And as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, David Robertson was just traded. I could see Adovino taking over the role since he has the most experience, but it could be a closer by committee situation with Brooks Raley and others. Showalter might mix and match, but I could see Adovino getting the bulk of save chances moving forward. So if you want a speculative ad on fab and waiver wire runs, grab Adovino. I think he might be the guy. Now, moving on to the bat recommendation. I only have one, and I mentioned him before in this episode, Tristan Casas. He's 49% rostered on Yahoo, and like I already said, I mentioned Casas earlier, so I won't give you my whole spiel on him again. I'll repeat one thing, though, because it's worth repeating. In the last two weeks, Casas has went 15 for 32 with 11 runs, 6 home runs, and 11 RBI. Casas always had a high prospect pedigree, but he's finally delivering on what we thought he was going to do to start the season. If he's available in your league, don't hesitate and just scoop him up if he falls off then obviously you cut bait and we both shrug together like nothing ever happened but my bet is and I'll hold myself to this is that he finishes the year really strong and is drafted as a top 10 first baseman next season I really think he's that good and I think he's going to get a lot of helium after he finishes this season strong So those are all of my recommendations. We got one bat recommendation, three streamer recommendations, and two closer recommendations. So hopefully that can get you through the week. 
But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hopefully I did a good job as a solo podcast host. I hope you all enjoyed it. But before you go, make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm going to chug a bottle of water and make myself a cup of tea with honey just to make my throat feel better because it is on fire after speaking for an entire hour by myself. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I've been your host, Lee, and I'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. 